1: to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Between the Lines is Michigan's LGBTQ newspaper. It is one of fewer than 20 local LGBT publications still in existence. Susan Horowitz and Jan Stevenson, who are not only the owners and publishers, but a big part of the day-to-day operations, retired after 25 years and sold all their interests in Pride Source Media Group, the parent company of Between the Lines. The sale brought many new faces and leadership to the paper. Jackie Jones joined a paper as an editor in 2021. Jones graduated from Wayne State University with a bachelor's degree in journalism. Prior to joining the Pride Source Between the Lines family, she worked as a freelance marketing specialist and journalist in media for nonprofit organizations and publications. Jones is a storyteller. She has written poetry, participated in performance art, including performing with Detroit's Mosaic Youth Ensemble before pursuing journalism. Her journey has taken her from Michigan to Maine and Arizona before returning to Detroit, honing her craft along the way while discovering herself, dealing with life's challenges and collecting stories along the way. The road wasn't always easy, and she shares not just her professional experience, but life experience as a black, queer, lesbian. Now she brings her life and professional experience to Pride Source Between the Lines, where she hopes to not only maintain, but build the platform for LGBTQ media across various platforms and provide a voice for BIPOC queer voices a space that is sometimes not available to black indigenous and other people of color in the community Jackie welcome to collections by Michelle Brown how are you Well I want to I'm happy Jackie Jones to welcome you to what I consider my extended family, the good folks at Between the Lines and Pride Source. Um, how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing great, thank you.
1: Just getting relaxed after a busy week, but I'm, I'm doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, I know uh, some people might not know you, but, you know, you've got your roots here in Detroit. I see you went to Wayne State. you studied journalism um mm-hmm. did you Did you always want to get into journalism and and write and all of this like even as a a young person
2: um I've always been interested in literature. I will say that um journalism wasn't my first choice I actually. Started off performing um, through Mosaic Youth Ensemble, and as a kid, I was mostly a theater kid. So I was just always interested in the arts. Um, I didn't really get more discipline in my writing and actually venturing off until I lived in Portland, Maine, of all places, and I started to write poetry, perform my poetry, um, do a lot of performance art, and. Then I decided, you know what, I want to take this to a different level. I want to start telling other people's stories. I've, I've, I've Basically, I I've reached a point where I, was just, I wasn't just, inspired with my own creativity, so I thought, let me start reaching out to other people and hearing their stories and just engaging with other people that way. So journalism, while there is a discipline of journalism that people love, I mostly just love to tell stories. So
1: that's how journalism found me. No, that's interesting. I love Maine, okay? I think that Maine, mm-hmm. I mean, I used to, like, um, spend part of every summer in Maine. What took yeah. you to Maine?
2: Um, it's funny. My sister was there with her partner at the time, and I had just, I was living in Tucson, Arizona after I graduated, and I kind of just, like, Wore myself out there and then moved on to um, Maine, where she just was like, Hey, you can come here, you can figure it out, um, you can explore. But I get, went there and I did exactly that,
1: and then I started going to school there. I mean, that's a big jump from Tucson, where it's very warm, to <laughs> Maine, to where, you know, like, what do you have, like, maybe like six weeks of summer and then it's winter? <laughs>
2: Absolutely. If <laughs> you come during mm-hmm. summer, like, after June, mid-June, up until, like, mid-August, you will enjoy main summer. But after that, just start layering up.
1: <laughs> I know. It's just like, you know, once I was there and, like, someone, and I stayed a little later into from, you know, after Labor Day and people said, oh, it's going to change. And that night, mm-hmm. you know, a storm came in and it was cold and it was, like, wow you know was it like a culture shock though for you i mean you know like i know that you you you've lived here you were in tucson Mm -hmm. you were in maine what was was it like a culture shock or what did you pick up what did you think developed in you from living in these different places
2: yeah um i would say it's definitely like a culture shock um Tucson, for sure. Where where I live, it wasn't like towards the city. Um, It was on the outskirts, and it was a lot of natives actually where I lived. So Mm -hmm. to see that culture, um, and to see the culture not gingerized the way that it is like towards downtown was really a culture shock for me. It made me appreciate that um, indigenous culture even more. So. That was brief, but um, when I moved to Maine, the culture shock was wow. This place is really white. <laughs> <laughs> like it was, it was so white and like like super liberal, but just like I didn't feel like my community was there as soon as I like landed. You know how, as a person of mm-hmm. color, you, you can usually go around specifically Detroit you go to an event, you see somebody who who lives of color, and you're like, oh, okay, i feel comfortable. Like, that's that's low-key family. But (laughs) when I moved to Maine, it was not that. Um, I definitely had my family, but it was just, like, a lot of white culture that I wasn't used to. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely introduced me to different aspects of art. A lot of contemporary ideas, a lot of um, radical ideas sometimes. Um, but there's also a large Sudanese um, culture there. And mm-hmm. so you see that culture portrayed throughout these, like, pockets in, um, in Maine. And I I stuck with African cultures, really, because a lot of... Um, People who migrate there, and so I got to experience actually a condensed amount of culture, but in the most white place. <laughs> mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. when I say condensed amount of culture, like culture I, I I didn't experience at home. Detroit is very diverse, but that was that was a different
1: um, cultural experience for sure. Well, you know, when the first time that I went, I felt, you know, because um, I had gone out of ways, and I thought that I was the only, here I was, a personal color, a black woman, and I was the only one I saw who wasn't tending to some white children and had a Jamaican accent, and I'm going like, you know, okay, I, I feel odd here, I didn't feel it, but then You know, I mean, it was like so, I mean, and my friends would make jokes about it, you know, but there were things that were, that that part of feeling like, wow, you know, this is not my culture. Uh, But then, you know, I found an artist colony where, you know, there were a really diverse community and I found a lot of other things. So I know exactly what you mean, you know, that part of feeling separate, but then, learning a lot how long as were you in Maine so I was there from
2: 2013 until 2017 four years
1: mm-hmm. and
2: you're trying kind to of spot on going back to what you just said did I I would say that Portland Maine was the place that pushed my limits as an artist and as a writer Mm -hmm. It was the one place where I felt like, okay, like there are galleries here that are open to Mm -hmm. me just like reading or singing or just like doing some performance, and they were named. They were open, Um, and that's not always the case in certain areas. Um, I would say Detroit is definitely opening up to that, but what made Portland different was that it was so queer. It was Mm -hmm. yeah rainbows everywhere, especially um, downtown in Portland, Maine. It it just and I wasn't even out at the time, but looking back I'm like, wow, that's that's a special place. It's like creative hub, um a great place to just explore yourself as an artist and also just a safe place to be queer. Mm Mhm.
1: Yeah, I mean, because the people, the group that I went with were primarily, I mean, it was like, it was a mixed group um, demographically, but also we were gay, we were straight, and it, like you said, there were pains that so was like, okay, oh, oh, this is this is all right, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay, I can look here. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, I, 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 can, I can dig this, you know? And yeah. I think, too, that there was something about not only the culture, but even like, the landscape. There are some parts of it that stimulates the creative part of you. I know, but there were some things that I wrote I started there. And, and yeah. you know, it just sort of like moved moved me into that. Yeah, so so that was nice. So was your were your sister sad to see you leave?
2: Uh my sister actually so she went on a trip around the U.S. She renovated a van and went on a trip around the U.S. So she did her own thing, and I stayed
1: mm-hmm.
2: in Portland. Um,
1: wow. Yeah. hmm Mm-hmm. Wow. So you decided after a while, you okay, was the journalism, and, and, you know, and I get it because journalism is part about telling stories, right. but... um. What else did you find from that that did it fulfill that need as a a means to be able to tell stories or did it also broaden your horizons to other endeavors that you could do?
2: Uh, I don't think it necessarily broadened my horizons to everything because i if you ask me like I've always just known that I wanna create. Um mm-hmm. I think if anything, journalism has just always been for me about understanding other people. Um, like I have a, a a great capacity to to sit down and understand people and to communicate with them in the best way that they know how, and also to to highlight underrepresented people um, mm-hmm. because. I feel like as a kid, I was overlooked, and nobody should feel that way. So that's just me offering some of my energy to it without necessarily um, focusing my art on just that. It's Mm -hmm. it's a great
1: medium for me to help people the best way that I know how. Mm -hmm. You know, often, you know, because I talk a lot about story, with people about storytelling, and even we talk about youth and being in schools. And I mean, and I've gone into schools like elementary schools. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even then, they're teaching to the test. They want them to sit there quietly. And then, but if you give kids an opportunity to tell their stories, you know, they're seeing life at a different level. And, yeah. but they are observing things. But often, like you were just saying, how you thought you weren't hurt. Kids are so like, okay, no, do this, do that, do that. And people don't want to hear their stories. Right. Yeah. What, from your personal experience, have you ever been able to connect with younger kids and go back and talk to them about doing that and the importance of them having their voice, telling their story, claiming their own narrative? Um,
2: when it comes to... No, I haven't actually tapped into that. I mean, I have brothers who are younger than me, and I always tell them, like, hey, listen to yourself, or what do you think of, about this? Even my youngest brother, who's 13, like, I'm 27, he's 13. So, like, mm-hmm. I always spoke to him as if he was, you know, just a normal person, not necessarily a kid, At an age difference. I've always just come at him at an equal level. Mm-hmm. So, uh I haven't in my career as a journalist or even as a writer really tapped into the younger generation, but I definitely understand what you're saying because I've seen it with my, my younger brother. hmm
1: hmm You know, and it's like things have changed. The language has changed. And, you know, you were taught, you know, in journalism, and, you know, they have all the ways that you're supposed to write and you're supposed to do yeah. this. Yeah. But, you know way, particularly black people and other communities of color don't always fit into that box of, of of journalism, <laughs> you know? How do you balance those two?
2: Um it's difficult. I'm not even gonna lie. Like the the things that I allude to sometimes in my writing or the colloquialisms that I use, our audience isn't necessarily going to understand it. Um, but then that's when I remind myself, I'm a writer. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I'm a writer, and I'm also very skilled when it comes to writing out strategy because I have a, a business where I work on branding and marketing, and I've worked in PR. So I can use that for myself and my own brand. So it's, it's kind of like, while I respect journalism, at the same time, I know journalism is not my future, if that makes sense, like my future. Mm-hmm. And I've started to believe in myself a lot more when it comes to being a writer and being a creative. So I think I just, I'm just i aware, very much aware of the game when it comes to journalism. And I'm very much aware that journalism doesn't fulfill all my writing
1: You know, I have um, a friend who he lives in Chicago. Yeah, he is in Chicago. And he has done a lot of writing. And he said that, and his degree was in journalism. And he said that being gay and from the south side of Chicago, going into journalism, that he had to become a master. A code switching, you know. Yeah, yeah. And Annie went to North Is regular. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you ever find yourself, like, slipping up, and then you go like, oh, yeah. You know, you say something, and then it's like, oh, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> absolutely, because it's like I could talk to Detroit artists, and there's, like, a specific slang to Detroit, and even, like, Even the way that Detroit Detroiters talk, I can understand it. But when I write it in some of my papers, like, the person who's, like, editing it um, would be like, I don't understand what that means. So doing that will sometimes frustrate me because I'm like, all right, I have to over-explain something that really doesn't need that much of an explanation, but it's only because, you know, I come from a different background. Mm -hmm. And... When it comes to journalism, not everybody is, is um, privy on that.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So
2: it's a lot of, like, automatic code switching, although I will say I don't, and I think it may be because of COVID and just people being more aware, I don't really have the capacity anymore to code switch as much as I did.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Okay. And, you know, and the thing, like, you brought up that other thing. There's some things that you say in Detroit, in the black community in Detroit, that maybe you might even go to Atlanta in the black community, and they would sort of like look at you like, huh? But everybody yes. who's up here knows, and it's sort of like I, I tell people how multicultural we are. I said even within our own community, we are we're different. Yes. We're, we're very different. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, in fact, I had um, interviewed um, a woman who was from Detroit uh, and she had lived briefly in uh, Tucson and she noticed just there is a way that she interacted with other black people and um, and she would, at first she was like, well, how come you're acting that way? And then someone yeah. had to break down, you know, well, this is how it was and you're coming up here from Detroit, so, you know, and she said, so uh, she was like, Okay and and you have to remind yourself sometimes which is like which is one of the cool things I think it's one of the cool and one of our superpowers as black people <laughs> but, but but it is something that you always have to be mindful of how you how you walk between all of these lines yeah. so well when we i'm going to take our first break when we get back after you finish school, you have had quite the, an interesting career, and I'd like to talk with you a little bit about the what, what, what different directions you've taken, but mm-hmm. there is also a little overlap, so we'll be right back. Here on collections by Michelle Brown, and I am talking with Jackie Jones. You might not know her name, but you should. Um, she is currently an, uh, the editor, one of the editors at Between the Lines, which is Michigan's LGBTQ newspaper. Um, but this isn't your first rodeo, as they say. You have been doing so much. I was looking at your. Your background, you were done um, advocacy work, you were with Black Magazine, um, you've done some PR work. Mm-hmm. What, what was your pathway that led you to where you are now? Well, was a lot of it just about, I got to work? Or did you look for something to where you found that intersectionality, you could bring all of these parts that you've gotten of yourself into it? Um, Good question. Um, I will say,
2: so my sister passed away in 2018, and Mm -hmm. she committed suicide. And when that happened, I was still, you know, finishing up my degree. And if I had a choice, (laughs) I would have just completely stopped. Like, I really would have just... Ran away like I'm. I'm not good at handling emotions all the time, at least during that time mm-hmm. element. But it was so difficult for me to really to to like pause on taking classes. Um, I could for some reason I could never get in contact with anyone at the office. It was just a weird time. So I just I kind of I endured the rest of those semesters when I know I should have taken a break and. Mm-hmm. The reason why it's like it's my my uh, resume is just so jam-packed is because I was I was running away a little bit from those emotions. I was mm-hmm. constantly working, making sure I I had a good public image, but really emotionally I was going through a lot of turmoil. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that has to do with unfortunately overcompensating, um, mm-hmm. which. I am at a good place right now. I can say that. And I'm also at a place where I'm just feeling more vulnerable when it comes to my emotions. So that's the reason why it's so, so much experience (laughs) during that time.
1: Well, you know, a lot of people think that, okay, something like that's happened. And then, okay, if you had, like, just broke down, you know, you're just supposed to, like, fall apart. But, for some mm-hmm. of us, and I think that often many people that that's the alternative. It's like you don't break down, but you're trying to get to that place, and in order to do it, you have to keep putting one foot in front of the another, doing things, doing things, doing things, till you can deal with that, and exactly. you know, and sometimes people don't understand that. Did you get that feedback like? Girl, why don't you just sit down? Or, or it, it's going to be that, and and not understanding that this was part of your payoff to get to the point to where you are today.
2: Um, I'm sorry. So you said are you asking if people ask you like
1: why are you doing this? Yeah. Well, why don't you just slow down, or you know, uh, okay. or like. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: it's funny because. I mean, like, people didn't. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, and I really think it's because, like, at a certain point, it was it was benefiting them, and I never spoke up about how I felt. Um, mm-hmm. I never really gave anyone progress of how I was handling her death. My mm-hmm. mom included, um, because I just didn't feel like she was able to at that time.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And... I would just, I had a therapist at the time, and I would talk to my friends briefly, but no, nobody was like, hey, you need to stop. And it wasn't until I met the person that I'm seeing now, and they were like, why are you doing so much? <laughs> and I think it's because that was the first time Christmas is passing that I've allowed someone into my space and, like, into my life intimately so they can see, like, Outside, you you look calm and collected. Inside,
1: you're doing too much. So it wasn't until this year, actually. And you know, and that's not on. And and you know, and I'm not gonna say for all black women, but there Mm -hmm. are. We're a tribe, girl. We're a tribe. That Mm -hmm. that that's what we do, and we keep doing it. And many people think of us as like you know, oh they're so strong, they're so tough, they're so driven, they're focused on their career, they're doing all this, where inside we're looking for that moment to, or that safe space to feel all these things. And, you know, and work can be good. (laughs) Work can be good. It can sort of, like, expose you to things, but, you know, as a as a as an elder in that tribe, I'm glad that you're at that point and you have found someone to do that, but you know it's it's funny how you know we talk about our community and not only you know black women l g b t q and mental health issues, and you know and you can say. You know, and mental health, no, it doesn't mean that I'm crazy, okay? (laughs) It might mean just that I need someone to touch me, but it's sort of like either you have people give you that look like, you know, like you're about to fall apart or, you know, go off crazy, Or, but not that maybe it just means to find that space to be gentle with yourself and to know that others will understand you need to do that. Absolutely. I think that's
0: what
2: um, it really boiled down to. I just, at a certain point, I was like, eventually I would like to have children. And eventually, and well, not eventually. I kind of tapped out of my, my friendships during the COVID. So I, I I really checked in with myself. and it's like I really miss my friends, and I feel like this is hindering my relationship. So I need to actually take care of myself. And I'm not going to perpetuate the idea, like you said, that black women have to endure pain. Um, mm-hmm. I speak up now. I say, hey, that's too much for me. I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> mm-hmm. I Obviously, it's a, it's a learning curve because people who, especially black women, who really weren't given the tools to vocalize that they need and how they feel, the delivery is not always good. And for me, the delivery was not always good, and people just didn't understand. So it really just takes, like, checking in with yourself, knowing what you need to decompress and cope, and then saying what you need. Um, I feel like a lot of black women just, unfortunately, given those tools or even opportunities.
1: Mm-hmm. No, no. I mean, really. Yeah. But uh, you really aren't, and we just have to. We have to find that way, and we have to find that tribe and find people yep. who we can connect with to sort of talk about that, you know. And Absolutely. we're you know, in a safe space, you know, because uh, cause every therapist isn't the right therapist. Every all your sisters aren't your sisters, you know. So just sure. to sort of find find that. So, well, let's talk about, I mean, you, you did something that I love. You were at the Detroit Institute of Art. You mm-hmm. did, you were an advisor for book signings, events, and mm-hmm. exhibits. I love the DIA. I often tell people I went to Chaos and if I wasn't in my assigned class, I was doing my own personal advanced studies at the DIA. I just love to go there and walk and look and just sort of take it all in because in looking at this, you know, between the DIA and the library, between books and arts, to me it opens Mm -hmm. a window to what's out there, that you could be more than what your normal little existence is. But Mm -hmm. I know many of us, of our, in the black community, don't go to the DIA. What, what got you there, and what did you take away from that, that time there?
2: Um, I'm just a weird
1: individual.
2: <laughs> um, I, I completely understand a lot of people, certain people, especially people of color, don't go to the DIA. Um, it's just not enough of of what we would like to see. Um, but at the same time. I liked the programs that the DIA was offering. Um, Like Mm -hmm. I can go there every Friday or used to be able to go there every Friday and just enjoy seeing somebody from Italy um, produce a full track list of songs like Mm -hmm. within an hour and a half. It was just all of those different eclectic opportunities and events that I wasn't really seeing. Um, all the time. So it wasn't even like the DIA is better than one thing. It's literally that the DIA has so many different resources to expand our palette um, and also
1: just to to see a different perspective. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I mean, you're not weird. You're perfect. <laughs> you are perfect. You, know? <laughs> you are perfect. So, yeah, but I think that that's a, it's, a, it's an interesting thing that you did. And it's sort of like it started you along that path. Were you looking for that opportunity in journalism to, to, I mean, and art also tells a story. So, you know, you weren't really far off because all stories don't have to be written. You can see the story. So you know you, you were sort of surrounding yourself in that, but were you still looking for that opportunity? How to get your foot, feet wet? And I know you did an internship. where some people say, intern, you know, what's that? They're not gonna pay me. <laughs> but but you did an internship. How important was that? Um,
2: when I t- like, I I really wish I had some profound answer for that, but really it was just the feeling of. Uh- <laughs> Mhm literally just fulfilling um, what I had to do, like one of my requirements for my degree. Um, mm-hmm. The internship, it was that are you talking about B-Business or? Yeah. Okay. We B-business, can start was, with that one. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was cool. I mean, um, publishing company, the same publishing company as, was um, that runs our magazine. So it was an opportunity for me to once again, Happen to a different perspective. Like I feel like I wasn't given the, the right business tools as a kid and, and immersing myself in the business gave me that opportunity just to understand the language, um, understand who is acquiring who. That was just for me to understand business for my own future. Um, but also fulfilling a requirement. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it definitely did fulfill those requirements and also helped me understand that world. Like I feel especially as a, a, a black woman or a black person in general, we aren't given those tools. We aren't given the um, business acumen that a lot of white people are given. Like it's just not given to us, so we have to go out
1: there and hunt for us. And, you know, I was talking to somebody who was in New York, too, who was saying, like like you were saying, like, you can go and take the class, but there's things that happen in that when you're in there that, like, you know, where, like she said, like some of her students, because she helped people get ready for, for to go into their career, they don't have access to like that networking or how maybe there's something that you can put in to go and you want to reach somebody and you want to reach them quicker, where if you go by just what you're taught in school, you end up at the bottom of the heap. So, I mean, you don't learn, like, the tricks of the trades and what really goes on behind the scenes. And that's why often you'll see somebody, you know, who, ha- who you would say might be less talented in a personal color, but then they take off and they run and all these doors open to her because mm-hmm. they have that inside scoop. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
2: Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that was, that, that never fits well with me. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I wanted to, and still want to um, have a seat at those tables, not because I want to be in that world, because I really do think. Corporate is um, falling apart. I just want an even playing field. Like that's literally it, um, and I feel
1: like it's not always the case.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, and, and not and to bring and you're bringing something special to that table. You know mm-hmm. to, to have it, but then also when everybody leaves you know, with their to-go bags, you want to have yours. So, you know, that you continue to grow and prosper like the rest of them, not just, you know, sort of go and go like, okay, fine, you're just sort of sitting there. Yeah. So, I mean, I've also noticed that, you know, did that help you with, you know, as you went into that Bloom Transformation Center? And you, I mean, it's like your things, public relations, media, journalism, Going into magazines, a lot of these are interconnected. Yeah. So, you know, how did you? Okay, so you're, I mean, you're still pretty, as they would say, green, (laughs) okay? Mm -hmm. And you're going into the library as a public relations assistant. Were you, did you bring what you knew and what did you learn? And, are these paths that you would, you know, many people think like, okay, I've got my degree. I want to go in and I've got to be like head honcho or something. But these are, you know, these are pathways too. Do you, yeah. would you recommend for people who want to learn to really thrive in this profession to sort of like think about some of these things? Um,
2: I... So you asked me if I would recommend my path? Mm-hmm. Um, every path is one. It's, it's Every path is different. I think when it comes to doing Transformation Center, that's my aunt's center. So she knew that I was into communication. She also knew that I did an internship um, in Portland, Maine at a museum where I was working media. Um, and that was just, a great opportunity. She was building up her her center, which is just off of the river, and mm-hmm. she was offering um, her services as a kind of clinical psychologist, and then she also has Gong meditation, um, different Friday events. Basically, it's just mm-hmm. this, this wellness healing hub, and that's something I was really interested in, and. Something I believe in because I've seen her working pretty much all of my life. So, going into that, um, that was just something I couldn't pass up. Like, I would recommend people to, if they see an opportunity in their first gut instinct, is like, hey, this will help me in the future. This is something I really want to pursue. Go for it. Why not? Like, why second guess? something that you feel like is going to teach you to be a better version of yourself or to help you in the future, go for that. I wouldn't I wouldn't say miss out on opportunities. Especially if an opportunity is literally sometimes just in your lap and you check it out and it sounds legit, just go for it. Because something else and something bigger can come out of it.
1: Now, did your aunt treat you differently? I mean, because a lot of people say never work for a relative. Okay, did she treat you differently from the others? And when it was time for you to leave there, was it more difficult for you to leave her because she's a relative?
2: Uh, my aunt is, is a Capricorn through um, I don't know if you've ever had the, the opportunity to experience that, but she's very professional. Um, almost so professional. I'm like, oh wait, I'm I'm your niece, but at the same time, when I'm working for her, <laughs> her I'm 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 literally working with her. Um, and I do go back every once in a while when she needs help. Like recently, I was um, contracted, so I worked with her for a few months because she wanted to get systems in place, and I knew how to do that because I have experience as a PR, um, in the PR field. So I worked for her, got a little information about PR, communications, even journalism, because I was reaching out to journalists in different publications. Went into PR, really refined my skills, working with marathons, working with the city of Detroit. And then I took all that information and... Continue to grow through, like, different seminars and started to do my own thing. So it can can help you with what you want to do in the future.
1: Mm -hmm. That's good. Okay, but okay, so... Okay, so, you know, you had all of this stuff and you talked about, you know, how the part of the grieving and everything. I often think that the pandemic was really a time of a reset, you know, whether we wanted to or not. And some people got all crazy about it, but it was a time to reset and think about things. When the time came and, you know, you knew you had to go home (laughs) and and, and sit there and, and figure out what you were going to do next. Did you reflect upon all of these paths you had done and, and which direction you wanted to go next, did you have a book in mind that you thought that you wanted to write? What were your, your thoughts of like, okay, I'm gonna go into this and I don't think anybody thought it was going to be as long as it was. But yeah. what did you hope? Or what were your your did you have hopes? Did you say, Okay, I'm at home, what am I gonna focus on for Jackie? Um, good question. I
2: think that goes in part Like, the beginning part of, I would say beginning this year, um, I really focused in on creating my own business. Um, And that just took a lot of research, um, a lot of networking, a lot of uh, setting setting myself up with systems. So definitely that. And then also just grappling with the fact that I had recently come out, so I was dealing with that. I'm still currently dealing with that. It was a really interesting time for me. A lot of checking in with myself, but at the same time just really overwhelmed. Um, A lot of relationships changing, a lot of... Um, learning of patterns, which I'm still currently doing, and also just kind of like an existential crisis a little bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was it was just me realizing like, okay, like these relationships that I've had in the past, they they didn't fulfill me like I wanted them to, and I'm just questioning why did I even do that, you know? Questioning society's idea of um of what I should be. So I I went in my head a lot and it was a lot of introspection for sure. But also it was a lot of me like pushing myself forward to believe in myself. And having a great support group or gathering great support groups for the difficult time that I was going through. That was the first part. oh. Um. <laughs> The second mm-hmm. part was just me realizing, like, hey, you can enjoy life. Like, me really consciously realizing that life is not all about work. You don't have to run away from this pain or this grief. You really can sit in it and let it go. So, that was the second part. And the third part, which I'm currently in, is just me actually grieving the loss of my sister. And really um, knowing that I have space now to do that because I feel more like myself. And I feel like I can really check in with myself and really ask myself because I know a little bit more about myself. Um, I can ask myself now, like, hey, what do you need? And that has been so helpful. And I definitely recommend that. Mm -hmm. to anyone, Um, but also it's still me grappling
1: with my my queerness and what that means. Now, you know, I've talked to, you know, throughout this, and there were some people who felt that, you know, this was a time, like, they missed those connections, being able to go to Pride, to do that. There were some Mm -hmm. people who felt like who were discovering their and wanting to live their authentic lives, but... You're in a pandemic where you can't go out and live your your authentic life in community like you'd like to. However, now there are more powerful images, more real images of LGBTQ people in the media, you know, television. I mean, I'm a big NPR nerd. And I love that a lot of uh, programs that I like to listen to on Saturday are hosted by people who are of a community. I mean, we've got people who are, you know, achieving, you know, look how many, Pete Buttigieg, you know, I mean, we've got LGBTQ people everywhere. Do -hmm. you feel, you know, as you you were on this journey to living your authentic life, that even though like some of these regular accesses to hanging in the community, you know, we didn't have Hotter in July in the park like we used to, that even though a lot of these were closed, but that it's a good time that you have things that resources and people that you can turn to and look at that has helped you in your coming out?
2: Absolutely. Um, it's kind of funny. My sister she came out in her teens, Um, and then before her passing, she came out as trans and I still use she, her because she wasn't given the opportunity to tell me the pronouns that she preferred. Mm -hmm. But, um, and then my brother, he came out when he was 13, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which I commend him as much as possible because that's, that's pretty scary. um, and then I'm also seeing someone who um, queer themselves, and also they were they were having um, some introspective moments as well, grappling with being non-binary. So it's it's like I have this group of people around me that have been giving me support and offering me resources through just like a listening ear. And it's been wonderful. And then the fact that most, I didn't realize it, that most of my friends are queer. So mm-hmm. it's, it's just, um, I just have always had the support, but I wasn't at a place where I could um, reach out to those people that offer me the support that I need. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, to go back to code switching, okay, Mm -hmm. even, okay, in the broader community, but even within the LGBTQ community pronouns, I mean, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. like you said, like, your sister hadn't reached a point to where, you know, they had come out with it, but I have been in spaces, in queer spaces, and people, it's like, why are you struggling so with they, them, she, her, he, you know, why are you struggling mm-hmm. with this? You know, it's not that difficult. Yeah. So as you, and, and in your daily life, you see these things. You have people come through and they send you, you know, you might talk to someone and they're going to go and uh, interview someone or someone might might do that. And I know that I don't know how journalism has kept up with the codes on which pronouns to use. How important is it to you when you see those pronouns, like if you're looking to talk to someone and they sign off on their email using their pronouns, or if you go to look at a business and you see that they have their staff people have their pronouns, how important is that? Uh,
2: I think it's really important because it it validates who they are. Not that they need that validation from me, but... It's just kind of like, I see you. I'm not trying to patronize you. This is something that you probably have had some um, concerns about yourself. I'm I'm going to be here to offer you some comfort. I'm going to listen to you. It means more than just saying, like, oh, I'm using they, them. Like, it just, it means a lot more. This is somebody who's come to terms with their identity in a world that, doesn't allow people to do that all the time. So I'm going to acknowledge that, and I'm going to acknowledge you. So I think it's, personally, I think it's really important. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, to me, I mean, uh, when I see that, I mean, even more than, you know, any business can put out a rainbow flag, but when I, if I drill down and I see that they're encouraging people to live there authentically, that just sort of says something about me. How protective yeah, how protective are you of your little brother and yeah you know, i I have um, I had someone who who had one child who was queer and then not I mean they had accepted it so well but when the other one started to identify as being queer, it was like you know it was like a no brainer, but still they saw the need to be protective how protective of you are you of your brother and you know and we're black not only he's black and male and we know what happens how protective of our are you and what do you see is a role that journalism and the media can do to provide a better hopefully safer world for him Um, I am so protective over
2: everyone in my life, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, especially my brother, um, both my brothers, really. But when it comes to Jay, who's the one who came out when he was 13, he's 20, no, 20 now. Um, I just make sure that he's he's being heard. Um, I check in on him when it comes to, like, his emotions because, he had to endure what he went through for a long time by himself. Um, my mom is a woman of her generation and she's also very much so unaware of other people's emotions. Mm-hmm. So he's, he really just felt isolated and alone and I was going through my own issues, bopping around from state to state. And that was really <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's It's just at a certain point, I didn't – he was really going through a lot. Like, he grappled with suicide suicide ideation. Um, He had to pretty much find support groups himself. He wasn't given those resources. And I feel like for a lot of black men um, and women and they them, black people who are queer in general, they aren't given the same resources as white LGBTQ plus people. Mm-hmm. Especially, like I've noticed that a lot of um, these nonprofits, and I was talking to the person I'm dating about, it, about this, a lot of nonprofits are not in Detroit to help LGBTQ plus. Like you have the um, Ruth Ellis Center, which is great, it's wonderful, but it's only for specific age groups. Um, so they aren't really given those resources, and there aren't too many safe places because our media and the black community does not do enough for the queer community. They don't offer them safe spaces like they should. Um, you really don't see it on billboards, you know. You don't really see it within our culture as much as it should be. So there's so much that needs to be healed within the black community, especially when mm-hmm. it comes to um, acknowledging queer people. Like, it's it's wild to me that people like my, <laughs> my mom's fiancé, who is slightly homophobic, he will rave about Prince, right? But uh-huh. in my head, I'm like, you do understand that Prince was queer, or, like, your favorites are queer. hmm <laughs> uh-huh. uh-huh. So it's, it's just, like, really wild to me that the black community, community can, can rally together for, for certain causes, but not enough for the queer community. And I think that changes with um, media, for sure. Um, just, like, a lot of um, black media. Um, Also, a lot of primetime TV shows that show blackness, Um, they don't show it in its full spectrum. And -hmm. it's crazy to me because it's 2021, and at this point, we should be. It's kind of like we have to go searching. We have to go, like, looking for um, something that seems queer, or um, queer friendly. It's like when we find it we're like, Oh, okay, thank God. Uh,
0: <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: it's really not enough and it's like I I do definitely get mad and frustrated and I think it's because I'm I'm officially out and I'm really just okay, I need to tap in more. I need my support group. But in a black community that's that's um that's
1: it's like Looking for a leader in a haystack, <laughs> for sure. Well, do you, do you find it all time mean, you know, not only the black community, but in, like you said, in the LGBTQ community, there are very clear yeah. differences between the white and the black community. Oh, I mean, you know, because because <laughs> I mean, you have people who are going like, oh, look, are they? At one point in time, up until like this week, uh, all the major black organizations had somebody black. Oh, they've all got somebody black at the helm. But I'm saying, like, but if you dig a little deeper, who are their board? Who are determining what programs get funded? Who is looking, you know, at, at bringing in other people? And that to me, it's sort of like, well, you're here, no, I mean, you know, like, and just as quickly as they were hires, as we've seen as like the case of h r c you know they're fired, you know, I mean, there's no and there's no the people who are behind him, and you know, and it, and that's why I used to be doing some things with h r c but that's what I noticed that when you went to the board meetings and stuff, there weren't many of us and Mm-hmm. So the programs and the funding didn't always go to black communities. And, like you said, the organizations that are outside of Detroit, and I would say outside of any major city, the black organizations mm-hmm. get do not get – they get like a little slice of the pie mm-hmm. where the white organizations have so much more and are able to do that. And even though they say that, you know, our doors are open – If I have to go in an area where I don't feel 100% comfortable or see many Mm -hmm. people like me on the board and working there, you're not for me. Mm -hmm. And so do you find, especially now, because we're going to go after we take the break, we're going to talk about where you're at, your current position. But do you find that that contradiction, you know, even like, oh, because at one moment it's like, oh, we're all gay together. You know, but I'm going, Mm -hmm. like, hey, but I still got my black card. you know. (laughs) You know, that that contradiction, like, for some reason, even, like, with black people and with the white gay community, because you're gay, you're different. You know, you're not still just black, you know. Yeah.
2: Um, I find that so frustrating because there is a difference. Like, it's it's so many... um, like we have so many labels described to us as Black queer people, um, we can't. While our, our um, identity and you know sexual orientation is something that we have to to dissect, we we kind of have to also move past it. It can't be our entire existence. While where sometimes in the white community I can see like that. A little different, um, and I'm not sure what why that is the way that it is. Um, because as a black queer person, yes, I'm grappling with my queerness, and I am queer, but there's also all these labels that that I think are toxic. Um, like I'm not seen as queer enough to certain people <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm quote, straight passing. Um, So it's just, it's frustrating. I'm like, damn, can I just be?
1: (laughs) Exactly.
2: Do I have to ascribe to all of this? It's like white people, white queer people aren't doing this. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm.
2: It's just, it's a lot to dissect in the black community in general, and it's just,
1: whew, it's a lot of work. Well, no, you know, it's like, okay, what do you mean you're queer? You're not lesbian? Okay, and if you're lesbian, are you stud? Are you femme? Are exactly. you this? Are you this? Are you this? <laughs> and it's like, you know, oh, my God, and I'm just me, you know? That's exactly. all I want to be. It's just me, you know? But it is just crazy. Well, we're going to take our next break, and because you okay. have just dove right into the gay community, um by joining the staff of Between the Lines, and we're going to talk about that when we come back. So if you're just joining us, I am talking with the phenomenal Jackie Jones, my tribal sister. (laughs) We'll be right back. back here on Collections by Michelle Brown. And I'm speaking with Jackie Jones. Now, Jackie, I told you, like, I went back to between the lines, I, you know, before uh, Jan and Susan, who many people say founded it, but there was one an iteration of it before them. And mm-hmm. um, like I said, you know, I think that Jan and Susan are, I would call them my ride-or-die friends. But even with that... And it being here, I know that I had heard, you know, over the years, it was like, oh, well, you know, uh, between the lines, it's not, quote, unquote, our paper. I said, okay, well, you know, more people should write for it. I mean, you know, and if you want to write, if you submit it, I know that they're open, but then people wouldn't write because they didn't, you know, they had reasons why. But I know that Between the Lines has been a staple in our community. I mean, there has been nothing, I mean, from with LGBT Detroit, harder than July. Um, Of course, uh, Ferndale Pride, all the prides. You could always count on seeing that Between Mm -hmm. the Lines paper and, you know, even no matter how limited, you know, the staff was, they tried to get somebody out there. Yeah, you know, they want the news of the free press, but then the news and the free press aren't, aren't the news of the free press like they were now. But right. to have an LGBTQ paper, I mean, they are dwindling. I mean, when I first met them, there was many. Now there aren't as many. There's very few. And I know a couple of years ago when they had Between the Lines, they saw uh, um creating change in Chicago. They celebrated. Not only between the lines, but the Windy City Times as being two of the oldest LGBTQ mm-hmm. papers. So Jan and Susan left. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, Jan and Susan left. There's a whole new crew. And we're wondering like, okay, and it's changed. How did you get pulled into the madness <laughs> down the rabbit hole to be to join the staff of between the lines and were you familiar with it? How familiar were you with it prior to joining the staff?
2: Um, it's kind of funny. It's just like one of those opportunities that literally landed in the lab, <laughs> which is like I'm grateful for. Um, it was, I was contacted via LinkedIn, and they were basically saying, hey, we have this position. Um, would you be interested? in I'm currently, you know, still working on my own business. And I was like, okay, this is part-time. This is something that can help me pay my bills um, while also really tapping in my community because I I did miss tapping back in a little bit, just, like, knowing what was going on, really. Um, So I I weighed out the pros and cons, and I was like, and this is also an opportunity to highlight a lot of black queers Artists a lot of black queer creatives leaders, and i I just jumped right in
1: Mhm. I like what you said that about because I'm gonna tell you the black queer creative community is just like awesome, I mean it's just like' yeah. huge, I mean it's just like I mean cutting edge forward thinking you put what's on it, and it's there, um. Yeah. So did you come in, was that part of what you said is like, you know, these are some of my thoughts, this is what I want to do. Was that received well? And how do you see yourself implementing bringing those voices?
2: Um, how do I, how would I um, expect to implement um, bringing those voices? Is that the question? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. Just yep, reaching out. Like, I have so many friends who are queer. <laughs> like, I didn't even, like, I don't know why I haven't been tapped in like that. But I just, like, asked them, like, hey, what's going on or what are you up to? A lot of my friends are involved in a lot of initiatives, um, a lot of um, even, like, media groups or um, creative groups. So... I'm constantly seeing on my feet, like, all of these crazy, creative, talented, um, business-minded, queer, black creatives. And I'm like, man, like, why am I not seeing this? Or (laughs) why am Mm -hmm. I not seeing more of this? Like, I was, um, I don't think I answered a certain part of the last question, but um, I am familiar with DCL, And in my head, I was just like, you know what? I was familiar, sorry. I, I, I really wanted to just bring that to that because it makes no sense that so many issues are distributed in Detroit and that Detroit is, is the one place that gets the most distribution of our current issues. It makes no sense that that's not reflected as much as it should be. Um, and that's literally just because, like, people previously weren't tapped into black queers, like. It's kind of like exposure theory. If you're not, if you're not exposed to a community, you really just think you're good. Like you're just happily unaware. So I feel like because I'm so tapped in 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 um, a personal way because of these connections and, and um, relationships that it would just not be smart not to highlight them. Like. <laughs> Mm-hmm, it's just, mm-hmm. that's literally what I see. That's literally what I know.
1: Why am I not writing what I see and what I know,
2: you know? Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I have, and there's a, I mean, I don't know what to deal with, but there's so many uh, people who were creative who were here. I mean, a lot of them are living in Brooklyn. I don't know. We uh, the Detroit chapter in Brooklyn. Uh, but, um, but in part, like they talked about, here they had, these skills, you know, they mm-hmm. were doing, they were writing, they were teaching, they were designing, but yeah. because people didn't know about them here. So, that, I mean, I know people who, there's a, a cluster of us in Brooklyn, there's some in Atlanta, the, and, and there's some in LA. And do you think that if, you know, I would love to see those people stay here? I mean, I don't, I mean, I want them to be able to make money, you know, but I would like to see them. To, to be able to stay here so that, you know, your brother and an, an, uh, those under him could go like, hey, I can make it here. But then we also have like a strong community of people who are here that nobody knows about. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So,
2: um,
1: okay. So what have, what, you know... You got there, you know, and I appreciated the fact that, you know, like you reached out to me and um, I was like, you know, because hey, like I said, you know, I knew Janice Susan and I know that I have contributed, I know other people have contributed to to uh Between the Lines many like I said who have moved on. And I was mm-hmm. like and I've been telling people, Look, this young, black, queer woman is at between the lines. You need to check it out. Um that's, what uh, Yeah, Thank you need to me. check it out you know how has the model changed it used to be like every week it'd be a paper you know you go to different places and you pick up a paper I know that a lot of it now is online and then I believe it comes out it doesn't come out every week is it every other week in print uh, it comes out
2: um every other week so it's uh bi-weekly
1: Mm-hmm. What are the challenges as an editor to have that consistency? Like if you are to know, to build that audience for these new voices that you're trying to bring in, when you know, because a lot of people, you know, they just sort of scroll through everything online, and then there's another generation who were used to picking up that paper and and using it as a guide. What, how do you build audience? when you're using these different platforms, and do you find, you know, are people going to that online version?
2: Um, well, I feel like I haven't gotten into that yet, um, mm-hmm. like focusing on the audience, or like I, I can't really, I'm not the right person to speak on that. Um, mm-hmm. But I will say the black queer community has each other's back. So when we highlight with somebody who's black and queer, there's going to be a lot of reposting and sharing, a lot mm-hmm. of just, like, hyping that person up, especially on Twitter. So, I feel like for a lot of queer creative footage, just, like, a, a safe hub um, and also where they, like, get the most, like, not, I would say this a general statement, but support it's more visible for a lot of black and queer people on Twitter from what I've gathered. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to, to price source slash retail specifically in that audience, I really can't see them yet because I haven't really gotten to uh, that part of my position. Mm-hmm.
1: If you have to think about all the people who you know, what is – a talent, someone who you're familiar with that you wish everybody in the Metro Detroit area knew who's black and queer? Uh,
2: I mean, well, the person that I'm seeing. <laughs> I up all day. Um, their name is um, Tom J. Cherries, and they're a DJ, and a producer. And I'm so proud of them. Um, i it's really a pleasure to see someone who I look up to who's black and queer and just really proud um getting out there and doing what they see themselves for, like following through with their ambitions. So, yeah, that person for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I think they you know, we DJed be DJing again. The DJ name was Lord, um, DJ Lord
1: um, but I'm pretty sure it's changing again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> well, I'm going to give you a name, and I don't know if you know Reg Flowers, who actually, Reg started out in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. came to Detroit, and but he still has a theater company in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's doing things on the east side of Detroit. I mean, you know, and it's just like, uh, yeah and i I think he's really just like a phenomenal person, and I think that that's the everything about Detroit. It's like yeah. there have been people who have landed here, and they talk about how it really shaped them, molded them, changed them, even if they you know like if they were here for a while and then left, and you know, and it's just like there's something rich. And magical about this city and about our queer community, I mean one of the people who just moved away, um, Adrian Marie Brown when she told me that she came to Detroit to help with something and mm. um, a program, and as the longer she was here, she said that being in Detroit changed the trajectory of her life mm. I mean I mean that is just like. Wow. I mean, and she's written like a number of books. She speaks all over, and she just recently moved to North Carolina. She'll be back. You know. Oh, it's yes. <laughs> funny know.
2: because I'm reading her book now. Um, Which one? I didn't even know that she moved
1: to, um, where is it, South Carolina? No, North Carolina. She just moved recently. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, wow. she just. Yeah, so so you didn't miss it by, by long, but it was just like, to sit down and talk with her and, you know, and she said, you know, being here and there's other people who I've met who have been here. And, you know, even when they, the people I know who are really strong activists in the LGBTQ community in Atlanta say part of it came from that upbringing in Detroit. I mean, so it's like, we're so rich and I'm so glad that you're there because, and you're a storyteller. Because before, you know, somebody else packs up and leaves, you know, or or the next person lands here and has that moment of change, we'll know about them. Right. You know, you'll you'll be there and you'll be able to to tell their stories. So besides working there, what are your other goals that you see yourself doing? I know you said you were working on your <clears throat> developing your own business. Are you gonna write more?
2: Um, I plan to be performing again by the end of the year.
1: Um, And I don't
2: know what that looks like yet, but I I miss it. I miss creating, um, especially creating my own art. Um, I do a lot. Like, if you want to know, like, my full plan, like, I want to have my own beauty line. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, I really do see, like, me venturing out into beauty, into art into media relations, um, and I'm slowly taking each one of those on. This year, it was kind of just slowly getting into media and developing my own business on that. Um, And then also, I'm a writer, I'm a performer, I'm an artist, so now it's time to, like, bring my expertise when it comes to media into my own personal brand to build that up Uh so people know who I am, so people can understand that I'm not this one-dimensional person um, and that I have so many ambitions and so many things that I want to accomplish before the end of my life that I just, I have to take it one step at a time. (laughs) Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I really commend myself this year because I wasn't as scattered as I usually am. I'm becoming a little bit more focused and self, self-disciplined. self um, So, yeah, I have a full, you know, a full idea of what I want to do with my life, and it really is just to like, be this mobile that I envision in my head, um, but it's going to happen.
1: It's just it's not here right now,
2: but it is it's here in my head.
1: Well, you know, I like that you said, you know, how, I mean, there's nothing wrong. You have to have a little bit of Mm self-discipline. But to be open to doing all of these different things, you know, because it takes work, you know, (laughs) because Mm -hmm. you can have a lot of ideals and then not do them. But, you know, you have to have a level of self-discipline to sit down and do these things and to do it. And, you know, um, the next time that I host, that my BIPOC queer voices, I'm gonna tap into you. So get your piece together and okay. get your piece together, because um, which has been like really amazing. Because what it does, is brings to people like you um, who have all of these these talents and stuff and, and and put it out there. You know, I think that the the sky is the limit. Hey, you're gonna be our Black queer Rihanna A billionaire. <laughs>
2: I might you say know, we're gonna manifest them. I'm gonna
1: put on my vision board. <laughs> uh huh. You know, hey, and I'm gonna say, I knew, it, I knew him. You know, but, <laughs> but I mean, I am just like so glad that you're there, um, mm-hmm. and in that role, and I'm here for you to support you any way I can. You know, introduce you to anybody if I know them mm-hmm. or have six degrees of separation to knowing them. You know them. (laughs) Oh, that's (laughs) sweet. Thank you, Michelle. Yeah. And I look forward to meeting you in person during one of our Pride weekends that are coming up. Yeah, same. I would love that. Yeah. So I'm going to wish you a fond farewell. I wish you tremendous success in all that you do. And I want to see on your website even more things up there that you do, you know.
2: Uh, and That's um, that's one of the things that I'm doing this year, focusing on um, my personal brand.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, you really do because uh, it's easy to get caught up doing things for other people, but you got to do it for you. And actually, I have seen your aunt with the gong. (laughs) Rose? Yeah, I've seen her yeah, with the gong. And doesn't, she yeah, do, yep. and doesn't she do and doesn't she do singing bowls too? Yep, she actually trained me.
2: <laughs> so
1: I'm a gong mm-hmm. practitioner too. Mhm. Yep. And yeah, so I mean, you know, there's so many things. I mean, I think that's just like amazing and phenomenal. But Jackie, mm-hmm. I want to thank you for your time today. Thank we you. will do this again. You know. Awesome. You know, and welcome. Thank you. <laughs> I want to thank my guest, Jackie Jones, one of the editors at PrideSource Between the Lines newspaper. She's one of the new faces at the paper. Jones brings her life and professional experience to PrideSource, where she hopes to not only maintain its presence, but build the platform for LGBTQ media across Various mediums. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week. And I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change, right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.